G'day, I'm Adam Spencer and this is City Talks, brought to you by the City of Sydney. City Talks is about starting a conversation, a healthy community discussion about important and innovative global, national and local city issues. In this podcast, we feature some curated highlights from the City Talks public speaker series, recorded live at Sydney Town Hall. City parks are where memories are made, children play and couples in love perform embarrassing PDAs. According to experts like our featured speaker in this episode of City Talks, it's well known that parks are not just for physical health, but for our mental health as well. Mitchell Silver is a guy who loves a plan, especially when that plan involves public parks and recreational spaces. As an internationally renowned planning expert and as the guy who oversees thousands of hectares of parkland as New York City's Parks Commissioner, he understands the challenges and importance for global cities in balancing population growth and green open spaces for the community. Sydney currently has three quarters of its population living in apartments, so improving green open spaces has become one of the city's top priorities. But how do you plan for these changes when the density of housing is on the increase? Well, that's precisely the question that's answered by one of the world's foremost experts in urban parks and public spaces in this very city talk. I know! What are the odds? Park your ears and get ready to hear from Mitchell Silver. Well, good evening, everyone. It's certainly a pleasure to be here. I didn't expect such a large crowd, so thank you all for coming out. Thank you, Lord Mayor, for inviting me. Uh, and I have to say, as Parks Commissioner, I am impressed, and I have to congratulate you for a job well done. Uh, also, I uh, want to share with you that I was very honored last year uh, to be made an honorary fellow of the Planning Institute of Australia. It is an honor I hold very near and dear to my heart, so we are both friends in the planning circles, both in the United States and here in Australia. So before I start, I just wanted to share with you uh, that someone once asked me, because I absolutely love Sydney, I love coming back, so I'm delighted to be here, and say, can you describe Sydney? And I said, the only way I can describe Sydney, if New York and San Francisco had a baby, it would be Sydney. (laughs) So I am here to talk about the future of parks and public space. Uh, and uh, before I uh, get into my presentation, uh, I do just, oh, I guess I get to advance this, uh, to talk about really the future of parks and public space. And really from my perspective, when we talk about density, you cannot have density without open space. They go together. And I believe that if you want to build a quality environment, it starts first with the open space. It is a vital part of our infrastructure. In fact, when I look at a city, it is composed of various systems and networks, and parks and open space is part of our infrastructure, and we have to build it first. You place buildings and then build the roads and footpaths after. You set the framework, and then you put the development parcels later, and life takes place on public realm. It is vital to our livability. It is where we spend most of our time, and it connects us to wherever we go. So we have to understand the importance of parks and open space in our system. It is vital and it is infrastructure, not just a nice amenity. I believe New York City would not be the great city it is without the open space. And when you look at New York City, and I translate it to hectares, uh, so you can get the scale, that is close to 12,000 hectares of parkland, 
Uh, over a third of that is in our natural areas and woodlands. Uh, I'm looking at our canopy is 44% in our parks and 21% in our city. We take our trees very seriously, and later in the presentation, I will share with you why that is. And so you can see it's a very, very expansive portfolio, and because New York takes its parks very seriously, and you can see from the capital budget, just for this year, it is $1.8 billion for us to build and restore our parks, and my staff is between seven and 10,000. We want to make sure we serve the public because our open space is that important to New Yorkers. But uh, I wanted to share with you what's happening globally. I had the honor of going before the UN Habitat in the UN uh, last year. And as you all know, I was very pleased that they now passed sustainable development goals. And goal 11 was to make cities inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable. But the one that caught my attention and why I was invited to the UN was because by 2030, there was now a goal that we wanted to provide universal access to safe, inclusive, and accessible green spaces. As we urbanize, the UN recognized how important this is, that you cannot have density, you cannot have urbanization without open space. It what makes our cities livable. And so I was able to share with them what we were doing in New York City, and now we're continuing having those conversations with UN Habitat. But I do want to share with you some of the both positive and negative trends we see globally when it comes to public space. There is certain evidence now that there is positive outcomes, not just to physical but also to mental well-being. These are places, as I often say, where people just relax so their brain can breathe and get away from the density, those green oases. We're seeing increased property values, reduced crimes, reduced anxiety and stress, and we're seeing neighborhoods transformed. Those are positive. On the negative side, we see the creation of semi-public space with barriers, walls, and privatization to other uses that don't give the public full access to their public space budget cuts because parks are viewed as just those extra non-essential amenities that we don't really need. And as a result, we see crime increase, property values drop, anxiety levels increase, and poor health outcomes. So for us, these are some trends that we find disturbing, but in New York, we take our park space very seriously. So I'm very proud that the mayor of New York, Mayor Blasio, worked with staff to come with a new plan called One NYC, the rise of the equitable city where we wanted to make sure that we want to be a thriving city, just, equitable, sustainable, and resilient. And open space plays a role. And in fact, I'm always pleased when I see pictures of cities, what do you see is on the cover. It's a park, and it's always going to be a park in public space, because that's how people relate to cities, not just the buildings, they relate to the park. But I want to tell you how important it is. We get 130 million visits to our parks every year. That is how powerful our parks are to New York City. Could you imagine if we did not have this asset? Where would those 130 million visits go? These are visitors, these are tourists, these are our New Yorkers, they're enjoying our public space. This is probably the most visited destination on the face of the planet because people value their public space. There are living rooms, our backyards, our front yards, the social gathering places where people connect with neighbors and friends and enjoy life. It is vital to our city. And when we look at our public programs and centers, well over 3 million visits to our 36 rec centers. And then we have outdoor programs for both kids and elderly. Uh, We want to make sure that our population stays healthy because we recognize the importance of recreation. But I want to transition for a second and share with you the evolution of parks because cities are layers of history. And... 
When we look at our park system and you look at the 19th century, if you go back to England, the initial parks were gardens where people went out to enjoy the natural beauty, the tranquility of a garden to stroll through, not stop, just keep walking. And in fact, some people believe that's what parks are supposed to be. Don't stop, don't sit, enjoy the beauty and keep walking. That era, uh, but we still have our gardens in many of our parks, uh, UK. But then by the 19th century, for the first time, we had a profession rise called landscape architecture. And the father of landscape architecture, Frederick Olmsted, helped design Central Park. And for the first time, he was, we had a profession that shaped and molded the landscape so that people can now enjoy the space, walk through it to sit. Democratic spaces, rich, poor, different ethnicities can all have access to the same space. And now for the first time, we saw a profession that wanted to shape and mold public space, and it transformed New York City. And it has never been the same since. Then we had the recreation facilities era, a.k.a. Robert Moses. There were children dying and adults were jumping in the river just because they wanted some recreation. And they were dying in the street because they were playing and cars and horses were running them over. And so Robert Moses uh, unleashed a recreation facility era that built pools and playgrounds throughout our city. And that was the era of Robert Moses. But guess what? We moved on. We're no longer in the Robert Moses era, and there are some that believe that the recreation is still the only purpose for parks. It is not. It is a purpose, but not the only one. Then we move to the late, 19th, the late 20th century, what I call the reclamation movement. The industrial era was over. We had industrial property that was now abandoned, and now we started healing that land by the riverfront and returning it back to the public. Not for development, for the public. Development was nearby, and I'm a little disturbed to say, but that's Trump City behind. <laughs> it is, but darn. But now we transformed and cleaned up this waterfront Riverside South for the public to enjoy. And who would ever think that abandoned railroad line would now attract 7 million visitors a year? You're looking at the High Line. Returning these cherished industrial spaces next to the waterfront and beautiful views back to the public, and it is transforming New York, and property values are exploding next to these assets. So the question is, what's next? Uh, we're pursuing equity, resiliency, planning, and placemaking. I'll go through these quickly. The first, when I say equity, what do I mean? It's fairness. And when I took this job, I was very concerned, were we being fair with how we distribute our resources, how we plan for our communities? And so we were very concerned, and we took a framework of the three E's of sustainability, whether it's environment, equity, or economy, or people, planet, prosperity. We realize that when people talk about sustainability, equity has always been the silent E. Equity is about people. If you are not including E in sustainability, please don't even use the word. You are not being sustainable. It's three E's, not two. We wanted to focus on people because planning is about place, but more importantly, is about people. We wanted to focus on the people that we're planning for. So I was very fortunate, within six months on the job, we came up with a framework for an equitable future. And that was launched with Mayor de Blasio, and now we're in the effort of changing the, uh, the inequity in our city. New York spent close to $6 billion over 20 years recreating our parks, acquiring close to 5,000 hectares, and we came up with this metric that we wanted everyone to be within a 10-minute walk to the park. And 76% are within a 10-minute walk to the park, except there's one problem. For us, it wasn't just about proximity. For me, it was about the quality of spaces. 
You can walk 10 minutes, get to that space, and I would not let my child step foot in that park. And so proximity was not enough. It was about quality, and we're on a mission to change it. So we did analysis to find out how many parks in our park system received less than a quarter of a million dollars over two decades, 20 years. And it turned out it was 10% of our parks, of families and children and seniors, two decades that had an inferior park. That's not fair. That's not right. And the mayor and I went on a mission to change that. The mayor gave me $285 million to totally transform 67 parks. That takes three years. So we said, in the meantime, we're going to do targeted improvements of spruce up with painting. Uh, We're going to add horticulture because we did not want the residents to wait three years. We wanted to do something right away. And I have to tell you, there were tears on, on, on some of the neighbors' eyes to say, I cannot believe you care. We thought we were forgotten. Now we're on a mission of changing those 67. So we decided to come up with a new design president for our parks, having water features and active uh, areas for our seniors and children. We started to use vibrant colors to really start to activate these spaces rather than being dark gray spaces. We started to use more horticulture and to start to enliven the space and stormwater retention because there's something about green that affects the brain, especially for children, and we knew this would make a difference. And then more importantly, we have an aging population. We want to make sure our spaces were multi-generational. Seniors like to sit and sit near the edge. We wanted to make sure we were able to provide a park for all generations. And we also believed it was important to start planting trees throughout our city. We had a million tree campaign, and we focused on 68% of our trees were planted in places where there was extreme poverty and had a lack of trees, had a huge important health outcome, And speaking about trees, I just want to underscore, I said our tree canopy is extremely important. It removes air pollution. It captures uh, carbon dioxide. uh, It reduces energy costs. And so for us, it is vitally important that we maintain our tree canopy so we can contribute uh, to saving our planet and improving the quality of life for our city. This is some of the tree canopy benefits that totals well close to $300 million dollars. And if you look at the street tree benefits, it produces a benefit of $120 million a year. We don't like to cut down our trees. We want to save every single one because we recognize the important value it offers to our city, to our residents, and to our planet. So for us, it's vitally important. And then we also want to make sure we extend that beauty out into the street. We have 2,200 street trees throughout our city. Here's one example of where we can bring that beauty out into the public realm. Parks don't just have to be behind walls and gates. It can actually extend that experience out onto the street. This will now impact 65 acres of parkland and truly give 220,000 New Yorkers that 10-minute walk to the park they had not had before. And so this program is moving forward and quite exciting. Resiliency and sustainability. This is something that's very important to our city. We are a coastal city with over 800 kilometers of coastline. It turns out that over 250 of those coastlines is within parks. So for us, this is not just about recreation. It's about our first line of defense, 230 kilometers of public beaches. This is all within our city. Superstorm Sandy caused a lot of damage, affected many park sites, and two-thirds of our population live in the most vulnerable parts of our community, live within one-half mile of our flood zone. So... As part of 1NYC, the resilient city, we came up with our goal of having coastal defense and looking at our parks as the sponges. 
and the protection against climate change. And we have a number of initiatives. I'll just share a couple with you shortly. Now, any park that is designed, these are our floodplain maps. We plan very differently because now it's a game change. It's a new reality about how we plan for our parks. And this is where we recognize we have stress-tolerant material in terms of storm damage and no artificial turf. So we make sure that we plan differently going forward. And then we have well over $60 billion of investment throughout the city to start to protect our citizens for the future. We have subsurface retention, permeable pavement. This is a new reality for us in New York City. And so we're designing our parks very differently, recognizing that we must be sustainable and resilient. What I'm most excited about as being a planner coming to the Parks Department is that we're doing some planning. I'm the first planner since Robert Moses, and I'm taking full advantage of that. I'm not building highways, but I'm building a lot of parks. But when we talk about placemaking, it's about experience of place, memory of place, and authenticity. All of you go to places because of the experience that you derive, and you come back again because of the experience. And so we want to focus on the experience of each and every one of our parks. In terms of memories, a lot of you have memories, cherished memories from parks and public spaces. And I want my staff to create new memories for new and, and existing generations. And for us, that's also an important part of placemaking and spacemaking for our public spaces. We look at all the different consumers that use our parks. There are six generations at any given time, and all of you are on this list. If you're not, you're dead, so I know you're on this list. <laughs> But if you look at this list of all the generations, each one of them have different values, needs, and aspirations for parks and for neighborhoods. And we want to take our time to understand what are their needs so we can craft an experience specifically for them, seniors, families, couples, millennials, children. That's very important to us. And we look at the generational breakdown in New York City and Sydney, you'll see that majority of the population is X, Y, and Z. That is a future generation. Can we make sure we plan for their experiences? And you're very similar, uh, Sydney, to New York. And so we want to make sure we have public meetings that those demographics are reflected. We do not plan for the people who are in the room. We look at the demographics. We do the outreach to make sure we're truly reflected the population that's there so we can craft that unique experience. Why is that? Previous generations were consumers of goods. The younger generations are consumers of experiences. And they'll move to places where they get that experience. And so I challenge my staff, we're not just designers, we're experience builders. And we have to be in tune with our population and consumers to know how we need to plan for them. And talking about the public realm, we took a look at our public realm and we realized parks are 14%, streets and sidewalks another 26%. 40% of our city is in the public realm. We want to plan for a unified public realm because our average citizen doesn't know when they're walking on parks department property or the transport department property. And guess what? They don't care. They don't care about our jurisdictions. They want to have a seamless public realm that is connected. So that's what we're doing to help uh, transform our city. That leads me to another initiative called Parks Without Borders. Now, I have to applaud you, Australia and Sydney, because you don't have the fences and barriers around your parks, but I'm going to show you what's going on in New York and how we're trying to deal with other issues of equity. A famous man once said that the sidewalk adjacent to the park should be considered the outer park. And that man's name was Frederick Miller Olmsted. When he designed Central Park, and if you go there, you'll know there's an alley of trees. The park doesn't end on the fence line or the wall. It ends at the curb line and beyond. 
And so we're now capturing all that free real estate and now incorporating the sidewalk, the footpath, and beyond into the park experience. And so our charter says that we manage the parks and the sidewalks adjacent to the parks and public spaces. One would assume that this Department of Transport and Parks is all parks property, but our mind told us that it wasn't. And so now we're looking to see how we can transform, take the fence down, punch through. That person has to walk another six or seven minutes to get to the entrance. That's not necessary. They should have easy, safe, and accessible access to the park. So as I close, uh, we're now moving to Parks Without Borders, a $50 million initiative to make parks more accessible. Uh, It's Parks Without Borders. It's to address the entrances, edges, and adjacent park spaces to make them more welcoming. In terms of entrances, take down the fences, make them more welcoming and gracious, just like here in Sydney. In terms of the edges, lower the fence height or remove it. Put benches out on the sidewalk so people now have natural surveillance and sight lines looking into a park. A park with no fence is safer than a park with a fence because now you can see inside. And then adjacent park spaces, all that land we own that's not being used, let's incorporate it into the park. We own it, it's free, it's city-owned land. Let us reprogram it so the public can certainly enjoy it. In closing, I want to share with you one of the lessons learned uh, that I've learned that density and open space go hand in hand. You cannot do one without the other. When you talk about density done well, what it really means is get the open space right. Number two, plan for the public realm first. Public spaces should be not an afterthought. A focus on the experience of place is critically important. Have a chief or a team focused on the public realm. Plan and manage the public realm as a unified system. Develop data-driven decision-making a process to ensure you have equity as achieved. And then finally, remove or evaluate your physical and legal barriers such as rules that truly make parks accessible and welcoming to all. In my closing point, uh, Sydney, you have some tough challenges ahead, but I have a saying that smart cities know their sense of urgency 10 years before it's urgent, and Sydney, you're smart. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the one and only Mitchell Silver. If you want to hear more from other experts passionately committed to enhancing life in our cities, download City Talks from wherever you get your podcast fix. And if you're listening to us in Sydney, keep your eye out for more live City Talk events on the City of Sydney website. I'm Adam Spencer. Bye-bye.